please turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. Verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Our subject this evening is Beware False Teaching. Well, we come to uh, this uh, passage before us uh, uh, this evening, and uh, we'll only be looking at uh, three verses this evening. We'll go down to verse 10, but uh, as we have already seen in this letter, each verse is is so rich and uh, deserves much attention, much that we could say about uh, every single verse. So these uh, three verses, I'm sure, will be uh, more than enough for us this evening. And uh, these words essentially are are warnings to us as believers. Uh, The Apostle Paul is uh, uh, warning us of false teaching, and that will be uh, the great uh, thrust of uh, this message and the thrust of these verses before us. But he will also equally point us to the sufficiency of, of Christ and uh, warnings such as these, uh, well, they form an integral part of what it is to know the Lord and what it is uh, to walk with the Lord. The apostle has given the instruction in verse six: "As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him." And what it is to walk with the Lord, it's not just to read His words although that's important, and to pray and to worship. These things are very important and vital parts of walking with the Lord. But also our walk with the Lord means that we defend ourselves from false teaching or anything that is opposed to Christ. Beware, says the Apostle Paul. It is a strong word, beware in the Greek, and it is a word you must take seriously, says the Apostle for your walk with the Lord. And so uh, when we preach and when we teach, we, of course, speak much of the glory of Christ and we magnify his name in the church and through the preaching of his word. But we must also speak of the dangers, the dangers of false teaching and urge people to be on their guard against false teachers because that is a great part of what it is to walk with the Lord. To walk with the Lord is to be aware of the enemies of the Lord so that we turn away from them and do not allow them to get a foothold in our lives. So this uh, will be uh, the teaching this evening and uh, uh, this is uh, something that the Apostle is very keen to point out to the believers in Colossae and as I've already mentioned, he puts this in the strongest possible language, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he adds to that, beware, lest any man spoil you. 
So if somebody was uh, spoilt in the uh, scriptures in the Old Testament, well, that uh, particularly speaks of uh, uh, how an invading army would uh, come into a city and would take away spoil, would take away the riches of that city and would even take people captive. And so the city would be devastated. And uh, the Apostle Paul really is saying that this is what it is like. This is the effect of false teaching. If false teaching enters a church, it can cause great devastation and take away the riches of the church, take away the beauty of the church. The church can be corrupted by false teaching. It can take away uh, the zeal of a church, the focus of the church, the focus on Christ. Blessing, the Lord's blessing can be taken if we uh, are enticed by uh, false teachers. The church becomes a very different place under false teaching. Love for the Lord is drained away. Love for one another is drained away. All of these things, it's like a, a city that has been spoiled. An army has invaded it and taken away everything that is of worth and wealth and beauty. And so again, this is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking in strong terms. Beware lest any man spoil you. And really what he's about to say, well, he's already mentioned it uh, in part, uh, speaking in verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He's already mentioned it in this chapter. He's going to add to it. But remember what those enticing words meant. Words of flattery, words that are subtle, they're false teaching, but it's so subtle you can't even see that it's false teaching. The devil's suggestions are always very subtle. They seem so perfectly plausible. We can very easily be taken in by false teaching. So all the more reason to beware, says uh, the apostle and uh, and the Apostle Paul, well, he's going to lay all this out in uh, greater detail, in closer focus, in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. So three things, essentially, he's going to uh, identify. Firstly, he's going to identify vain philosophy. Then he's going to speak about the tradition of men. And then he uh, identifies the rudiments of the world. What are these things and why do we need to beware of them? Well, first of all, we look at uh, the vain philosophy through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, philosophy on its own is not a bad thing. This uh, passage or the Apostle Paul is not saying that we should have absolutely nothing to do with philosophy or that uh, any kind of philosophy is bad for us. Philosophy in its purest sense is really the exercising of reason. God has given us reason and uh, we have reason to be able to think, to be able to weigh things up, to consider things deeply and profoundly. That's a good thing. Philosophy, if only there were more people in this world who had a philosophical view on life and not just a shallow view of life and a trivial view 
on the things of the world and life in general. This is what we have nowadays. We have a society that is so shallow that doesn't like to think about anything and doesn't really exercise its reason. But we should exercise our reason. We should exercise our common sense. That's what the world is not doing nowadays, even in the most basic things. So there's nothing wrong with philosophy in and of itself, but what is being identified here is vain philosophy. Philosophy and vain deceit, they really go together. And vain philosophy, well, that word vain can mean a number of things. First of all, it means empty. An empty philosophy or empty speculation. That's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Empty speculation, particularly when it comes to spiritual matters. The false teachers in Colossae and the false teachers in general, well, they, they speculate, they philosophize on what it was to be religious, on what it was to be saved, on what it was to worship God, what God was like. They were trying to employ their own reason to all of this. They were trying to figure it out. But of course, and I'm sure we've mentioned this already in this series, God's being, God's character, God's salvation cannot be worked out by our own minds, by our own philosophy or our own ideology. These things are beyond our minds. They are beyond our reason. John Davenant, in his commentary on this passage, says, These things are beyond the grasp of reason and depend wholly on the revealed will of God. So again, I'm sure we've mentioned this before. The things in the Christian faith, well, they are revealed to us from God's word because uh, they are beyond our grasp. They are beyond our reason. We have many things in the scriptures that are beyond our reason, and yet they are revealed to us through God's word. We have the Trinity, of course. The Trinity, one God, three persons within the Godhead, that is beyond the grasp of our reason. But it has been revealed to us by the word of God. It needs to be revealed to us. Predestination, you could mention, beyond the grasp of our reason, how God has chosen all of his people beyond before the foundation of the world. How exactly was this done? We can't really truly grasp this. No man would invent this. It's beyond reason, but it's revealed to us. And uh, how we are saved, well, this too is beyond our reason. To be born again, to be born of God, to die to ourselves. Somehow we share in Christ's death and resurrection by faith. We die to ourselves. We become a new creation. We cannot truly grasp this. This is beyond our reason. It is revealed to us. So this is the difference between the Christian faith and all other ideas and philosophies, spiritual or otherwise. All other ideas, they are the result of man's reason and philosophizing. And uh, the Christian faith, well, it is the revealed will of God to us. It's from the mind of God. So these are empty philosophies. And they're empty, they're vain, in that they do not achieve anything. 
They don't achieve anything. Man's idea of how to get right with God does not actually get you right with God. So man can come up with all sorts of ideas and theories on how we can be right with God, but they never actually make you right with God. They're empty, empty philosophies. Man's idea of righteousness and what it is to be holy will not make you holy in the sight of God. So we have particularly nowadays many different ideas on what it is to be good and what it is to be righteous. Man's ideas, but they don't actually make you righteous in the sight of God. They don't achieve what they set out to do. So these are empty philosophies and deceit is mentioned there. They don't set out, they don't achieve their aims and uh, therefore it is a deceit. People who follow false religion think that they are achieving something but they are not. I have no doubt that there are many people who believe that they are right with God. Perhaps many people who believe that they are Christian, but they are not. Why? Because of false teaching. False teaching. People who do not look to the word of God, but they, uh, they've made up their own idea, their own reasoning on what it is to be right with God. False teaching and so it's a, a deception, many people being taken in by it and thinking they're right with God, but they are not. And this is the philosophy and the vain deceit that the Apostle Paul wants us to be very aware of. But then he speaks about the tradition of men. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Now a good part of the false teaching in Colossae was uh, instigated by the Judaizers and I've mentioned them several times and uh, one of their main concerns was to uphold Jewish traditions. Traditions, that was their great focus. The Jews, the Pharisees, you know, had many traditions. We read of them in many places, even in the New Testament, the washing ceremonially of hands and cups and plates, for example, the things that they insisted on because they were Jewish. They were Jewish traditions and they wanted to hold on to that. And that was a big part of their religion. And the Gentiles too would closely link religion with their culture, traditions. So often their religion was an extension of their culture. Really their religion was from them. It was part of their cultural tradition. And well, we could speak, of course, of the Roman Catholic Church and all the traditions that they have, things that are not found in the Word of God, things that are added, the worship of saints, for example, all the, uh, the Hail Marys and the praying with the rosary beads. These are all traditions. They are not in the Word of God. And the thing with these traditions is that they were a burden to the church. This is what the Apostle Paul was warning about. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, they spoke about the burden of tradition, particularly if there was some uh, element of righteousness in these traditions. You carry out these traditions, and if you do so, they will make you righteous with God. 
And these, uh, this was the way that these traditions were being esteemed and elevated. These traditions, if you follow this, if you follow your Jewishness, if you follow these traditions, these will make you right with God. And this was becoming a burden to so many people. The Lord himself said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. It was speaking about all the traditions. That's what the Lord was speaking about. All these traditions that were impossible to keep, and they were heavy burdens. And so this is why we as a church in our Reformed teaching, we, uh, we do not hold to, tra to traditions. We hold to the word of God. We are very uh, scrupulous in all that we do. And uh, well, we have Christmas and we have our Christmas Day service. And that's uh, only because it's a gospel opportunity. But anything else, any other tradition, well, we're very careful about and we eliminate them from our practice and certainly from influencing us over much. We have even now at this present time Lent. Lent has just begun. But that's a tradition. And uh, we are not bound by these things. We don't place heavy burdens upon ourselves. We place upon ourselves instead the yoke of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, which is light, which is easy to bear. So these traditions, well, they were bringing the church into captivity. And so uh, the Apostle Paul mentions them. Philosophy, vain philosophy, the tradition of men. We have to beware of all these things. And then the rudiments of the world are mentioned. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world. Well, what does this mean? Well, rudiments, you may have in your margin, means uh, elements. Or you could say the basics of something. The first principles of something. If you are teaching uh, little children how to read and write, you uh, would call it, I am teaching them the rudiments of reading and writing. The basics. The basic elements. And some commentators suggest that this is particularly, when the Apostle Paul says here, the rudiments of the world, this is uh, pointing again to the Judaizers and how they couldn't move past the basics. They couldn't get past the Old Testament. They were stuck on the rudiments. They were stuck on the, uh, uh, the aspects of the Mosaic law. They were stuck on the rite of circumcision. These things were so important, they couldn't get past them. They couldn't get to the gospel age, to faith in Christ. They were stuck on the rudiments. The law of Moses, circumcision, the dietary laws, the sacrifices, all these things were, uh, they were shadows of things to come. But they were stuck on them. They couldn't move past them on the rudiments, the basics. But then we notice that it says the rudiments of the world. Rudiments of the world. And we shouldn't uh, ignore that because we can apply this to worldly philosophies. It's very clear here. The world's philosophies. 
and not after Christ. It's as though the Apostle Paul is making that uh, contrast, the world and Christ, the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So worldly philosophies that can come into a church, and well, we could speak about the worldly things that are in the world today and that can come into the church, the social gospel, for example, we often speak about how uh, many people believe that the gospel is, well, it's just all about doing good works and just uh, helping in the community and making the church like a, a social club. No spiritual aspect at all, just uh, doing good things. That's uh, the way the world thinks. That's worldly philosophy. That's pleasing the world, not pleasing the Lord. We uh, uh, do what the world wants us to do. We do what the community wants us to do, and we get the esteem and approval of the world, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We could speak about the woke ideology at the present time that has, uh, well, it seems to have infiltrated a number of churches, it seems, in the U.S., and, uh, well, it seems so harmless. Again, uh, the woke ideology is a very good example of how people can be beguiled with enticing words. Enticing words. It seems so plausible. It sounds so good, so uh, moral and uh, noble and uh, good intentions. And, well, perhaps there are good intentions behind this. But it's a worldly philosophy. Wokeism, it hasn't been, uh, hasn't been revealed to us by God. It's from the mind of man. It's a worldly philosophy. And it's uh, a vain philosophy. Any worldly philosophy is a vain philosophy. There's no spiritual value in it. It cannot achieve the things that it sets out to achieve. It tries to achieve, well, it set out its uh, goals very clearly. It wants to eradicate racism, and that's a good thing. And sexism and injustice, all these are good things. But it can't do those things. It can't actually achieve its aims because it's of the world. It's only Christ that can do these things. People seeking after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Only in Christ can these things be overcome. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, don't take your focus off Christ. Don't look to other things, other ideologies, other philosophies that come from the world. Christ is all that you need. Why is Christ all that we need? Well, then he goes on to say in verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If that is true, well then Christ is all that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need any other ideology. We are complete in him. Now this verse, of course, we could have spent the whole uh, Bible study on. But what does this mean? In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, I can't speak uh, too much about this because it will take a lot of time. And again, these things, well, they are beyond our reason. 
what it is for Christ to uh, have the fullness of the Godhead in him. Really, this is speaking about Christ's deity. Of course it is. He is equal with God, the Father. If anybody asks you for a verse which uh, shows whether Christ is equal with God the Father, you turn them to this verse. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is not just uh, an ordinary man. No ordinary man would be described in these terms. Of course not. Christ is the eternal Son of God. We know that the Godhead, the Godhead is mentioned there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ is God the Son. But all the fullness of the Godhead is in him. He's not simply a third of God. He is fully God. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And it is a glorious thought to think about the uh, scripture reading that we read earlier. Well, uh, Christ spoke of these very things in uh, John chapter 2. If you just turn with me to that passage. John chapter 2 and uh, verse 19. John chapter 2, verse 19. Well, the uh, Jews have just asked him for a sign uh, because he was uh, causing quite a stir. And verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Well, now this is uh, very closely connected to that which we have just read in Colossians, that in Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Because the temple, of course, was the place where God dwelt. That's what it signified to the Jews. The place where you would go to meet with God. God dwells in the temple. But Christ is speaking of the temple of his body. Why does he speak of the temple of his body? Because it's in his body where the fullness of the Godhead dwells. He is the temple, the true temple, the fulfillment of the temple, you could say. And uh, it is, of course, beyond our reason. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so there's nothing lacking in him. Absolutely nothing. The fullness of God is in him. Not just a part of divinity. The fullness of the Godhead. And so this is the apostle's point. We don't need philosophy, vain philosophy. We don't need the tradition of men. We don't need the rudiments of the world. Because we have Christ. And Christ is everything. We are not lacking in wisdom. We don't need anything outside of Christ to make us wise, to know what righteousness truly is, or to know what morality truly is. The world is trying to teach us a new morality. The woke system is saying to us, in effect, 
your Christian faith is wrong. You need a new morality. This is the new morality, this wokeism. This will make you really righteous. We don't need that. True righteousness, of course, true wisdom is in Christ. He is our righteousness. He is the only thing that makes us right with God. So we don't need any other thing. No other morality, no other righteousness, no other way to holiness. Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And well, it is an amazing thought, and just to close with this, Christ came in a body, he died for us in a body, and at the end of time we shall see the Lord Jesus Christ in a body. Christ will eternally be incarnate. We shall see him face to face because he's in a body. And this is a wonderful thought. He wasn't always in a body, of course. Christ is the eternal God. But in glorious love for us, he came down from heaven to earth. He took upon himself a body for us. That's why Christ is in a body for us. It speaks to us of his great love. He could have just dwelt in the fullness of the Godhead just on high, just in heaven forever and ever. And he would have been glorious, but out of love. Now it is bodily. Now it is to identify with us and for us to identify with him out of love for us. It's a wonderful and tremendous thought. But we shall see him face to face in a body and we shall be lost in wonder, love and praise. But dear friends, these things, they are to stir our hearts to love Christ and to do that which is necessary to love Christ, which is to turn away from all those things that the world presents to us, all those alternative ideologies and philosophies, and cleave to Christ and only to him. So these things, well, may they be a help to us and a great blessing to us.